Welcome to The Peel, where we break through the surface of sustainability in Florida and get to the juicy stuff at the center of it all. I'm your host, Amber Whittle, Executive Director of South Base Sarasota. We're a nonprofit that's increasing the resilience, affordability, and health of Florida's buildings and communities, and we're saving the planet along the way. Check out our programs and events at southbase.org, Sarasota. Our guest is Justin Bloom, board member of Suncoast Waterkeepers. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Amber. Glad to join you. And thanks for joining the Peel. So how did you become heavily involved in Suncoast Waterkeepers, and what is their mission? So uh, I founded Suncoast Waterkeeper a little more than 10 years ago, um, having worked with waterkeeper programs for quite a long time. I, um, right before that, was living in New York City working for Waterkeeper Alliance, which is the umbrella organization that that uh, helps tie the 350 or so waterkeepers around the world together. And I, I wanted to come back home to Sarasota and saw what I thought at the time was a need for a waterkeeper, waterkeeper type advocacy oriented organization um, for this area. So I moved back um, and um, started the program. And so we're now 10, 11 years out and uh, have been quite successful. And I think on the about to be about to grow. Excellent. So what what are your primary activities that you guys focus on? So we're uh, we work and are aligned with uh, the other environmental organizations in, in the community, but are really advocacy oriented. Um, while we do some scientific research and monitoring, some outreach and education, um, we're really more have the, the kind of the niche of of uh, environmental advocacy and and kind of hard hitting environmental advocacy. Um, and we bring and historically have have brought a number of lawsuits uh, to address environmental pollution or, or failures in adequately regulating. Um, so that's kind of our our thing is is aggressive advocacy and when needed litigation. And so you're an environmental attorney, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> and so what we have so many environmental organizations in Sarasota County. And can you tell me why you chose to start another one? Um, and you also mentioned how you interact with the uh, with the some of the other environmental organizations. Can you um, describe that relationship too? Sure. Uh, well, having worked in a lot of different areas around the country on environmental issues, um, I have seen communities that really and environmental advocates and organizations in a community that don't work well together. And I'm so glad that here we really seem to work together well and support each other. Um, so, you know, I, and there are a good number of environmental organizations, but but I saw the need for one that would really be more of a, uh, a waterkeeper type uh, enforcement, hard advocacy type organization. And and that's worked well. I mean, I think we've worked very collaboratively with other organizations that are not either in their their mission statement or because of the practicalities of their uh, board uh, leadership or funding um, um, concerns. They don't do the hard advocacy. Um, so we 
are kind of untethered and able to um, really take bring lawsuits and take controversial positions. And often, you know, behind the scenes, we're working with our colleagues in other in organizations that don't do that, but they're they're supporting us. Um, and and likewise, we support their efforts where we don't hold ourselves out as being, you know, having um, like relations with, let's say, with Sarasota Baywatch. Um, they do great uh, outreach and cleanups and and we don't. Uh, so we'll encourage our membership to go participate in those activities. Absolutely. I mean, that's so we do that. We're getting an advocacy position here. It's funded by a foundation that excludes lobbying. We're not allowed to lobby. And so we can't bring suits ourselves. So we partner. We do a lot of um, research and writing in terms of policies that are coming up and energy efficiency uh, legislation with the or with rate cases. And then we partner with someone like Waterkeepers uh, to sort of bring those rate cases forward. Yeah, yeah. So we're really unconstrained when it comes to litigation. With lobbying, like uh, we're a 501c3 and we can only do a certain amount of that, but we are more and more getting involved because kind of part of the story of Waterkeeper, Sunkist Waterkeeper is part of this broader Waterkeeper movement. And there are now 13 Waterkeepers in the state of Florida. And we work collaboratively and have a weekly meeting and are really kind of gathering all these voices together to be more to to amplify them and be more efficient at a statewide level on policy issues. So Waterkeepers Florida is um, spending more time in Tallahassee and our, our messaging is becoming more unified across the state. Um, and hopefully that I think that that is only going to um, become more effective. Absolutely. I've seen that with the estuary programs um, within Florida and then nationally, too. When they band together, they get a lot more done and they also learn from each other's experiences a lot. Yeah. So that definitely helps. So you said that you guys might be expanding. Do you have any fun news to share yet? Well, we are we've been trying to hire an executive director and have our, our two finalists. So okay. there's no announcement. Um, you know, I think very soon uh, I hope that we'll have that news, but we're 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 going to be hiring an executive director. Um, we we've been for the last 10, 11 years. We I've served as a pro bono executive director um, formally and informally. We did hire an executive director at one time that it didn't last long. So we've never really had a real like a professional executive director um, at the reins of the organization um, and. I'm so excited that that looks like it's coming to fruition. And I think that there's such, it'll expand our, our capacity because we've been doing a lot of work over the last 10, 11 years with mainly just volunteers and, and great board members. And if we have a, a competent, uh, capable executive director, it's gonna expand our capacity dramatically. Absolutely, having having a paid staff person can just, really um, grow the program exponentially. We found that here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So one of the major things that you guys are known for in our community very recently is Piney Point. So yeah. can you tell us the history of Piney Point and where we're at now with it? Yeah, it's a really sad story. Um, and right now we're we're waiting uh, on a judge's ruling. But, it, you know, the story goes back 
decades. Um, and I'll just kind of say where, you know, how we, uh, how we became involved in this chapter. Um, so this spring, um, early spring, there was a, a real catastrophic, uh, but controlled release of about 215 million gallons of polluted wastewater from Piney Point, uh, which is a, an old, um, phosphate facility was a phosphate facility uh, right at Port Manatee, Northern Manatee County. Um, there, the 215 million gallons of wastewater were released to avoid a collapse of the gyp stacks at Piney Point, which contain hundreds and hundreds more million gallons of polluted wastewater with processed water and heavy metals and radionucleotides. And the uh, the stacks there are these mountains of phosphate waste um, that are not engineered structures. They're basically just giant mountains of this waste that have on top of them uh, impoundments of wastewater, uh, processed water from the historic phosphate operations mixed with stormwater. And in this case, also mixed with dredge spoil and um, bay water from an, a, an earlier expansion at Port Manatee right nearby. And because of the poorly engineered and deteriorating structure there, which we've known about for decades, got to the point where it looked like it was all going to fall down. And it would have been an uncontrolled release of these hundreds of millions of gallons of wastewater just into Bishop Harbor, uh, Cockroach Bay, uh, causing major property damage at the port and the jail. So the solution was to release strategically 215 million gallons of the wastewater to relieve the pressure. That led to the worst red tide and fish kill that we've seen in Tampa Bay in generations um, since the 70s, which is the advent of the Clean Water Act. And we... Um, we brought a lawsuit shortly after that, uh, Suncoast Waterkeeper, along with Tampa Bay Waterkeeper, Center for Biological Diversity, uh, Minnesota 88, and Our Children's Earth Foundation. Um, and the, the main goals of that lawsuit, I'll get back into a little bit of the history, but this is kind of like what's going on now. I mean, we, it's, it was a reactive lawsuit to make sure that that doesn't happen again and that that site is fully, finally closed. Um, and that the remaining wastes are uh, responsibly addressed, um, that the, the damage uh, is remediated, and also importantly, that there's accountability, because we firmly believe that this has been a just horrible failure of primarily state government, uh, and we want accountability. Uh, the state of Florida has known that this is a, uh, a high risk uh, situation, um, a disaster waiting to happen for decades. And I believe that it is their failure to regulate um, this site um, that is really the primarily, that they hold the primary responsibility for the failures of that site, for, for their failure to adequately regulate over the course of decades. And it's not just this administration, it's not just Republican administrations or Democrat administrations. It is a historic failure going back to the, the 19, 
80s, I believe. Um, so that's kind of the, the history is this failed phosphate uh, plant that nowadays would never have been permitted to be located right on Tampa Bay. Um, but it was a a poorly uh, um, sited and, and run phosphate facility with a history of spills to begin with back in the 70s. There were major spills there. Uh, eventually, the, the facility went bankrupt. Um, and in about two, about 20 years ago, uh, with the Mulberry Corporation having gone bankrupt, uh, DEP took over the site. And ever since then, DEP, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, has basically been in charge of the site. Um, and they have, with all the warning signs, uh, allowed this to happen. And I'm going on and on, but I just a couple more points. Yeah. And the warning sites were there, signs were there and have been for so long that it needs to be closed. And it is needed, and they've known it for decades, yet they continue to try to find different ways to uh, allow it to remain open for, and, and the worst was uh, for Manatee County to use it as a waste disposal site for the dredge of a berth at Fort Manatee. Um, instead of closing it when they had the opportunity and they knew that it needed to be closed, they let Manatee County put dredge spoil and dredge water on top of this poorly engineered structure when the Army Corps of Engineers clearly said, don't do it. It's a terrible idea. And it might result in exactly what has happened. And they didn't like hearing that, they being uh, the state and the county and the um, owner of the facility, uh, which is now just a real estate, a bankrupt uh, real estate interest. They didn't like that. Um, and they went ahead and did it anyway, knowing that the, the liners uh, were compromised and that there was a really high chance of failure. So I have a two-part question, follow-up question. Yeah. And then I want to, after your question, I want to let you know where things stand now. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. you said it was owned by a now defunct real estate holdings. Did they think that there was any value to that property that they could redevelop it for you know, waterfront homes or the like? Um, and then my second question is probably where we're at now, but I've heard that that Manatee County wants to use um, advanced wastewater or not, um, they want to use deep uh, well injection, right? right. Um, so how did that work? Because I know people don't like the idea of that either, taking this radioactive toxic material and just injecting it close to our aquifers. Right. Yeah, those are two important questions. Well, one is that um, HRK is the um, entity that owns uh, Piney Point, but it uh, it's basically in, in bankruptcy proceedings. They bought it really because there was still, um, it's a huge site and they have, they successfully sold off some portions of it to support uh, port activities, um, storage and warehousing, and I think in a, a site that was developed for industrial uses. So there's some real estate there that is not, it's not just these giant mountains of, of hazardous waste. Um, and so that, it was really a real estate play and but they're in bankruptcy and now there is a receiver that is governing the operations um, through the bankruptcy being appointed by the bankruptcy court and then the other part is the, kind of the more recent history after our lawsuit manatee county the the plan as it is now developed by the state and the county 
is to dispose of the remaining wastewater through deep well injection. Uh, Manatee County owns a parcel of land right next to uh, the gyp stacks. They uh, have received a permit from the state to drill a deep injection well with the plan of injecting the wastewater into the lower aquifer, not the drinking water aquifer, but the lower aquifer, which they say is a confined aquifer and that will the polluted wastewater that they would inject, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of gallons of wastewater would not have any contact with and wouldn't seep into the um, drinking water aquifer that we rely on and that um, for drinking water and for agricultural uses. So that's the plan and the state went along with it. It's, it is uh, underway. Nancy County is constructing a deep well. Uh, we think it's a terrible idea without um, following the process, which is laid out in federal law. This should all be governed by the Resource Conservation Recovery Act. We should be have been doing this for over the course of years, getting the best experts together to come up with all of the alternatives for how to close that uh, dangerous facility and how to remediate it and come up with the best process and enact it. Um, this was uh, an expedient, irresponsible way of getting this pollution out of sight and out of mind. And I understand the motivation to do it because, you know, rainy season is coming and this is a, a really dangerous situation. And Manatee County wants to just get, get that as much wastewater out of there as fast as possible. It is willing to take that risk of contaminating our, our groundwater resources for generations and generations. I think it's irresponsible, but I, it's, it's understandable. Um, so we're seeking to hopefully through this court process that we're in the middle of, we're waiting for a federal judge to make a ruling on the initial dispository motions, we call them the motions to dismiss, which is typical in a federal lawsuit like this. The defendants have asked the judge to throw out the case. And uh, we've briefed that and the judge is um, yet to rule on whether the case goes forward. If it does, which we hope and plan for it to, we'll be able to actually get on site in discovery to really make a good determination of, of the constituency of uh, what is in that wastewater, what types of pollutants, and is it hazardous waste because if it's hazardous waste, if it rises to that level and has the heavy metal contaminants and the radionucleotides that we're afraid are in there, it is absolutely illegal to inject hazardous waste into the aquifer, into any aquifer, for those reasons that make clear sense that we don't want, we don't know what's going on thousands of feet below the ground. It's like shining a flashlight in the back of a cave. You know, that's, that's how much you know of the, the geology. Um, by sending down exploratory uh, wells, it's just a very limited area, and you can only really suppose what's going on down there. We think that that there's been inadequate investigation to come up with that easy determination that don't worry, you know, it's confined and it's never going to uh, mix with our our drinking water supplies. So we want to get on site, see what's in that wastewater. Um, because uh, if they start um, if they start pumping that wastewater into the aquifer and um, and it shows levels of hazardous waste, they, they're going to have to stop it. So it, it's a dangerous investment, I think, in time and energy to to drill this well, really not knowing we don't have the confidence that 
they've really done adequate studies of what what is there. Do they have monitoring wells where they that they drill or somehow um, access around the well so that if it if the water does start to migrate either into the drinking water aquifer or into if it's not contained, is there any sort of backup at all? Because that seems like one of the point problems with Piney Point is there's never been sort of like a fail safe. Right. Yeah. I mean that's typical uh, injection well technology, and it's used throughout the state mainly with uh, sewage wastewater. Um, so they do monitor um, in areas around the site of the wellhead um, to determine whether there's upwards migration. And then also the well itself is monitored for stability and to see whether it becomes compromised. Um, but keep in mind, I mean, these monitoring is it's kind of like I like that cave analogy. So maybe that's like shining seven or eight flashlights into the back of the cave. Um, it's very limited, I believe. Um, How well, long does Manatee County think it's going to take to get all that wastewater into yeah, the well? I think it's about 50 years. What? It's going to take 50 years to get all the wastewater into the well? Yeah, because remember, every summer, we're getting tremendous amount of rainfall. And, and more and more, with more dramatic um, storms, um, you've got millions and millions and millions of gallons of rainwater adding to the volume. So even with this solution, it's still going to be another... It's still going to be a problem for another 50 years. Yeah. Oh. And the problem is, I mean, it's not so clear. It's just like it's a bad idea, but there are there are no really good ideas out there. I mean, it was a bad idea from day one to even cite the thing there. But like, so what if not deep injection? Well, OK, Justin, then what? <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of good solutions out there. I mean, we you know, our, our arguments are really, I think, more procedural. Like I'm, I'm the lawyer. I'm not the expert. Get the experts in the room. And figure out the pros and cons of all the different uh, alternatives. And we know that there are other alter alternatives like reverse osmosis. We also know it's more expensive. Um, but let's really take a hard look at it. And I mean, I don't think that that the cost should limit um, the cleanup plan right here. It sounds like we might need all of those things. 50 years to me just seems like 50 years of of more potential for disaster. Yeah, it's, it's going to be around for a while um, under the best scenarios. That, but hopefully, um, we're not going to see what we did last this past summer. Um, you know that the DEP um, really did all hands on deck to try to firm up the, the integrity of the the stacks, and it held. Um, there have been signs that it's not holding well. There were some fissures. Um, we're really hoping that this rainy season it'll hold, but they have been doing um, treatment of the wastewater uh, that would most likely have to be released if they have to do another plant release. They've been um, working really hard to reduce the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus in that reservoir because those are the pollutants of greatest concern to the surface waters of, of Lower Tampa Bay. Um, so, you know, I, they're still working hard to reduce the amounts of nitrogen that would be flushed into the bay if they're facing another catastrophic uh, um, collapse. And how are they reducing those nutrients? Uh, it is some proprietary um, technology that they're using. Um, so I, I don't I don't know, but there are a couple different vendors out there. Uh, you probably have a better idea than me of you know how to uh, treat 
water to reduce uh, nutrients. Um, but I think that they're basically dropping the, the nitrogen out of suspension to the bottom. That's uh, what I was going to guess. Yeah. Some sort of weird flocculent thing like they do for oil spills. Mm -hmm. So I always love a good futurist. So as we're talking about, this is Tampa Bay, but what are your predictions for the future of Sarasota Bay? So where do you think our water quality is going to go? We've been having a dip in our seagrass coverage, um, an increase in our nutrients again, especially in our lower bays that are their watersheds are getting more developed. Um, and we have done this before where we've improved our water quality. So what what are your predictions? I uh, I like to be an optimist and it's it's Thursday afternoon and the weather's great, but I I, I don't have a very good feel for how things are looking for Sarasota Bay. Um, you know, if you follow the the data and the reporting um, by SWIFTMUD of the deteriorating con conditions in the bay, not just Sarasota Bay, but Tampa Bay and Charlotte Harbor of the decline in seagrass, um, it, it it's looking, um, my greatest fear is that we're going to be looking like the Indian River Lagoon and in uh, you know five years from now or something i don't know the time frame but i i see it sliding uh i don't see improvement um hopefully you know we're going to keep on monitoring um but you know these seagrass losses continual declines in seagrass are incredibly um of incredible concern and i and what i'm not seeing is the significant reductions in nitrogen needed to try to reverse that, if it can be reversed. Um, so, I think um, I think we got we're looking at a really bad picture, and I think we really need to collectively do a lot of work to get a handle on it to try to reverse the decline. Uh, and it's got to be it's everything. I mean, we've been we've been um, effective with bringing litigation to force municipalities to reduce pollution from their uh, sewage systems, including you know, massive amounts of nitrogen. But that's, you know, that's kind of like low hanging fruit. Um, it's, they're very difficult battles and we've been successful, but you know, we need to get a handle on the stormwater uh, pollution and the massive amounts of, of nutrient coming in. And in many places I'm seeing that we're building smart and reducing uh, nutrients coming off from development and coming up with really smart ways to treat stormwater, but you know we're we're still loving it to death, and the growth is tremendous. We can't we we can't accommodate the two thousand I don't know what the number is today two thousand people a day moving to the state of Florida, all contributing to uh, the decline because every, every person adds their amount of, of pollution, no matter how conscientious you are. And there's a lot of things that we can all do individually and, and collectively, but uh, it is, a, I think, a huge undertaking. So I'm, I'm a bit pessimistic about it, unfortunately. <laughs> I love listening to Dr. Tomasco. I hope that you have him on your podcast because he's still an optimist. And I'm like, just do what he says. <laughs> Well, his major, Dave's major push was for um, the AWT plants, the Advanced Wastewater Treatment Plants, and now the commission has agreed to do all three of them in Sarasota County, so that's a huge yeah. win. But like you said, stormwater accounts for almost 70% of the pollutant loading into the bay. Yeah, um, when it's we created as well, you right. know, because I think that AWT, which is what we 
I think, forced the county to do that at their main sewage treatment plant through our litigation. But they went above and beyond that and agreed to convert all their plants to AWT, which but they're not they're not surface water discharges to begin with. And so them going Except to for through reuse when they do reclaimed water on like the golf courses and communities, et cetera, right. that that will be. Yeah. Um, and then that becomes a stormwater problem. So it absolutely does. So there's so what goes into stormwater, right, is fertilizer, um, septic and sometimes septic and uh, reclaimed water. So if you can get a handle on those. Um, yep. So some people think to treat the source, um, but I think you have to do both. So um, we do the watershed improvement network. It's something we do out of South Bay, Sarasota, and it's trying to get business leaders and community leaders involved in water quality, which they wouldn't normally do, and to use their influence to try and get huge amounts of money, right, government money applied to things like, say, the wastewater treatment plants. Mm -hmm. um, and as we were looking through projects, there really aren't a whole lot of projects that are very well fleshed out the way there was for, say, the oil spill. So I think that that, like you said, getting convening the experts is something that is is direly needed to be able to then present to policymakers that these are the things that we need to do um, to be able to affect, especially stormwater. Yeah, that you know, I remember um, when there was this uh, giant pot of money available. It's still there, a lot of it from yep. the, the oil spill. Um, the communities impacted all came together with all these proposals, all these projects. And and the estuary uh, programs played a really great role in coming together, which I think uh, you described a little earlier in the podcast, to prioritize those and to really survey which projects are out there and which might apply. I mean, I think we need an kind of an effort like that, even though there's not necessarily any giant pot of money. Um, but let's let's identify projects and prioritize them um, and then find the money. And I think like part of it is getting the message out, which you're doing a great job of, to communities, their leaders and individuals, to um, them message to their elected officials and representatives, they think that we think it's a priority. We think it's really important for you to make these important investments in our environmental infrastructure. And there are all these great projects out there. Let's start rocking and rolling. We got to do it quick. Let's get going. Yeah. Some of them that, that you effect. sound like me shouting it from the mountaintops because the same thing, the oil spill, we had a whole list of projects and we just moved through them. And I was expecting the same thing here for water quality improvements, what we would do. And they're just not there. So we are trying to get that list together, but it's hard to go to the constituents without those agreed upon projects. Um, so we're really working on that. And I think that that will be Great. And it's everything from putting like bio trenches into next to septic systems, you know, that are by the bay that aren't getting good filtration or buying some more properties that you can use for stormwater treatment, um, smaller ones and bigger ones. Yeah. So all of the above. All, all of the above. Great stuff. It yeah. is. And all the way down to like even just a broader public outreach and education program to like, you know, remind people to not let clean up after your pets and and plant Florida friendly or, uh, you know, retain your stormwater on site, all these things that everybody can do. And from the individual to the homeowners association to communities and, and everybody. Exactly. And the Science and Environment Council does a great job of that. Um, and then we're, you know, we do tours and stuff. I think 
we are a lot of like um, very hands-on, you know, um, Science and Environment Council does large marketing campaigns, you know, like there's no poop fairy. <laughs> and we really do a lot of tours and like hands-on show people um, what they can do on their property. So like you said, it's all hands on deck for this for this problem. Yeah, my, my wife and I were featured in one of the poop fairy uh, oh. ads. <laughs> oh, you were one of the ones. My my dad is the one that was in their very first one who's doing, who's pushing the... That was, uh, that was John Ryan. It was your dad. It's my dad <laughs> wearing his... Uh, his disparate vintage clothing. Yeah, nice. I, I can I can picture it. Yep, that's my dad. Well, it was great talking with you. Thank you, and thanks for listening to The Peel. To get involved with South Face Sarasota, visit southface.org, Sarasota. Until next time, stay sunny.